What kept us going was our passion. Every day I would come to work and put on something new that I've designed and I would go outside in front of the building and have someone take pictures of me and I'd post that on Instagram. So for a long time I was doing a lot of marketing by myself. My father told me life is not a bit of roses. You gotta put your into the plant, do the work to smell the roses. This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true. Asking the how, the what, the when, and the why. I'm Oshaya, and on today's show, Teniola Sego opens up about the origin story of Clan, a Nigerian dynamic brand that designs and retails premium ready-to-wear fashion to women. How do you follow the career footsteps of your successful and famous parents and yet manage to not be overshadowed by them whilst maintaining your own identity, creating your lean and working towards your own legacy? How do you create and scale a business for a community that seems to be against you right from the beginning for no particular reason other than the fact that you are the child of your parents? All that and more was the challenging reality of Teniola Sego and her sisters, Abba and Tiwa, daughters of Diola of House of Diola, as they tried to pave way for themselves and establish their own legacy in the fashion industry as founders of Clan. Established in 2011, Clan is a Nigerian dynamic brand that designs and retails premium ready-to-wear fashion to women. Its showcase at the Mercedes-Benz New York Fashion Week in 2014 elevated the brand to global status. The brand is recognized for its occasion wear, which ranges from staple pieces that every woman should have in a wardrobe to trendy workwear and luxurious evening wear. Teniola describes her childhood experience as a normal one. I was born into a home where obviously there was a mother and a father. Being the first child, I was very much the center of attention. A lot of my childhood was spent with people much older than me. Okay. But I enjoyed talking. I enjoyed dancing. Uh, I enjoyed telling stories. That was my specialty. Oh, nice. Yeah. So <laughs> apparently I would engage anyone I saw and I would talk for ages. So. Is there any particular fondest memory that you have of your childhood? Yes, trying on my grandma's shoes and doing a parade. <laughs> she had so many. Um, so I would try them on. This is my mom's mom. I would try on her um, shoes and walk around for ages until she came home. Then before, just before she comes home, I just put everything back and I act like, oh yeah, I've been downstairs the whole time. Are you serious? Studying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, nice. So what were your parents like? Were they warm? Were they strict? Um, different kind, were they different kinds of people? They had, uh, my parents were strict. Um, my dad was big on discipline. And my mom, also big on discipline, but extremely loving. And um, a very strong personality, strong woman. My dad was principled, disciplined, and a stickler for time. 
So uh, yeah, I would always be late and I would hear the same speech over and over again. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, you should get yourself organized. So f- from a very young age, I've been, those values have been instilled in me. Um, and also my dad had a particular um, love for reading. So from, from young, from when I was really young, I've been reading and it blighting um, books. Like uh-huh. we had books, loads of books when we lived in Yaba. We had loads of books that we had to read, and it wasn't an option. And during quiet time, fiction, every, nonfiction, fiction. Also, okay, yeah, mostly fiction. Um, and we would every morning have quiet time as a family, and one of us would be required to read the word for today. Okay. And if you got one thing wrong, like one word was pronounced wrongly, you would have to start over. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, My dad was a perfectionist, but it made me who I am today because in any room, I feel like I would understand. I would never. I don't feel lost mm. in any room if anyone is talking because I've I've read a whole lot of books, literature, so yeah. I guess all that reading paid off. Yeah, it did. It did. Who would you say had the greater influence on you, your dad or your mom? It's a tricky one because they influenced me in very different ways. So okay. In terms of that um, passion for reading and for um proper like just that art of reading and literature and that interest in that that definitely came from my dad and that's a huge part of who I am um and then my mom influenced my creative side and mm-hmm. also my humane side okay. like the side of me that is compassionate and that is loving and that cares for other people so okay yeah it would be hard to say but i guess in more recent times, I could say I've been more influenced by my mom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, growing up where all three of you, you and your sisters, really close from a young age. Absolutely. Or, uh, you are not allowed <laughs> to not. Uh, your sister was, your blood was your, a part of you. Uh, you There was no jealousy allowed, no ill feelings no grudges Mm. allowed I remember my sisters between myself and my immediate younger sister there's a year and six months okay and obviously before she came I was a star child Mm. and so she comes and obviously I love her but what I don't love is the attention that I'm not getting as much of anymore so on her first birthday I was one and a half years old and I guess I must have shown some signs of jealousy. Are so you I was, my mom locked me up in a bathroom. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> I cried absolutely like bawled my eyes oh. out. And I, I was locked in the bathroom for at least 30 minutes or so. Yeah. So from there I learned that, look, you know, your sister celebrating is you celebrating. So don't, um, you know, never let jealousy get the best of mm. you. And this was from the age of one and a half. That's what I'm saying. Like in my family, there was, you know, most people say, oh, she's a child, you know, leave her. Uh-huh. Let's just, let's make her feel uh-huh. special. But with my experience, it was more like, you're not too young to know uh-huh. the right thing to do. And uh-huh. that's something that has really um, formed, um, you know, my moral code. I won't say I'm the best person ever best best person I know that's not I'm not trying to be self-righteous but in terms of knowing 
of choosing to do the right thing more often okay. than not, my upbringing definitely has uh, helped. But Teniola never really had dreams while she was growing up. So the way I did things was I actually didn't have dreams. Like most people felt like they wanted to be a doctor or they wanted to do, I don't know, maybe accounting. I didn't really make a decision or have any particular um, thing in mind. I always did what was, I always played to my strengths. And that's one of the principles I have um, for my life. Like I always tell people, play to your strengths because that's the only way to win. I feel like dreams are good, but then another way to realize a dream is to work back to the answer, Mm. which is what are you good at? Mm. And, you know, if you can find what you're good at, find a way to apply that and then that should end up, you know, you should end up in a place where you know exactly what you've been called to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people start the other way around, which is I dream to be this and then they put so much pressure on themselves. A lot of people have excelled, um, you know, in that way. So don't get me wrong. I'm not uh-huh. saying that it's the wrong way, but I feel like I'm not the kind of person that to put pressure on myself in that regard because I'm, an, I'm a very open-minded person. Okay. I feel like... There's so many possibilities when you don't say, when you don't define something. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, so what would you say your strengths are? I know you mentioned playing to your strengths and doing what you're good at. What am I good at? I am good at writing, uh, obviously, because I've studied law and I have a passion for literature, English literature. Um, I'm good at merchandising. So this store that we're in, okay. um, I tend to do the visual merchandising. Um, I'm good at social media management, okay, uh, which is what I do on a daily basis with all the brands under the house of Diola. Um, also good at product development. Mm. A lot of people will say, "Oh, she's a designer," but I take I think I'll go. F- I'll take that further and say that it doesn't really matter what the product is. I have a passion for product. Mm-hmm. development so even though yes i develop clothes i also recently have started to develop mm-hmm. bed and bath mm-hmm. um linens and okay. designs for those so i'm very versatile that's why i'm saying that if i was saying oh i'm a designer mm-hmm. and that's how i want to um sort of uh maybe brand myself mm-hmm. or put myself out there mm-hmm. it would limit me because recently i did design bed linens mm-hmm. before clan Teniola had studied law in Exeter University, UK, and never imagined that she would be creating a business. In fact, Clan had started as a simple holiday venture. Um, it was a holiday venture. We were just, you know, I, we'd come back and we had that stretch between June and September okay. where like, there's really nothing to do. And I don't think we had any plans to travel. Okay, look let's do something fun so we decided to um well it was just more of me having shopped okay. maybe in top shop and seeing their separates and thinking ah, why can't we do this here like uh. why can't we just do a summer collection so we start you know we buy ankara and we start we go into the store my mom's uh, raw material store we start picking out designs picking out fabrics and we're thinking okay it's, now we've made the clothes what's next like oh okay we need to find models so we literally go to the palms in Lekki and we find models there and that was how clan started that's how clan started it was it was not 
it was a holiday venture. It was a summer. Not a business. Let's start a business. No, no, no. no oh. It wasn't like that. We did. We got models. We said, okay, now we need to do a shoot. Mm-hmm. So we find. Um, we have some friends who own a beautiful house in Ikeja. So we do a shoot in their garden. And then I have a friend who takes nice pictures. So she does the photo shoot. It was complex through and through. A young, like, youthful venture. Wow. Yeah, everyone. Even the fashion show we then did, we got a sponsor, which is one of one of our big clients, actually, mm, now, today. Mm, mm. But at that time, she was just an auntie. And she thought it could be quite fun so she invested she gave us she helped us plan the event did guest list uh-huh. we had davido but it was it was good we had like little cubes um like they're, they're these cubes that storage cubes where you okay. can put things in them and that's where that's what people sat on um and then all the models were our friends okay. like men mm. when i say men sorry like male models and female models and they were clan and everyone just loved it. And it was picked up by um, a few, I think Bella Niger at the time, some media. I know some celebrities had come around as well. Um, well, at the time we had Ekwedewo and okay. Zainab. Um, Zainab Balogun? Yes, okay. yes. They both wore. So we then did, after that, we then did a photo shoot, like a lookbook. Okay. And they were the music okay, okay. for the lookbook. Um, yeah, it was completely serendipitous. We did not expect the traction that mm-hmm. we got. We did not expect that reaction that we got from people. So at that point, it was a holiday venture, not a business. No. So it wasn't clan. It was just a holiday venture or, or was... It was called clan. Even at that point, yeah. you had decided on clan. We did. Call, my mom named the brand. Okay. She said... Um, when you told her, what was the response and how did Clan come about? So the thing is, we've always, every time we've come home, we've always worked, like, the kind of home we come from. Yes, have fun. Yes, go out. But still, find a way to add value. Okay. So even though we would come home and we would tell our mom, like, ah, everybody is out, everybody's having fun. And she's like, yeah, but that's not you. Uh. So she'd say... What are you going to do? Yes, everyone is out, but what are you going to do to create value? And these these are like eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids. So we're like, okay, everyone's having fun though. Like, why can't we go out? And she's like, you can, but before you go out, come to my office, assist, help. How can you help? So I remember like when I was young, I would do things like go and help, share the beader. So we would bead like maybe... You would help her beat, like string beads together for, I don't know, it got, because my mom used to do the most intricate, mm. like, uh, craft work on her clothing. It wasn't just, it would always have raffia or, you know, beads, or it was always elaborate. So okay. there was always a lot of prep. So we would now help with that. And um, we ended up kind of secretly we would when we get bored we'd make little clothes for our barbies uh-huh, that was on okay, the side she didn't okay. she would know about it but <laughs> it was more like we would beg the lady who was teaching us how to be this was when she was still in Ikorodu on Ikorodu Road um, but then when she moved here that's when we did the clan and how old were you then? Clan. how old was I? um <laughs> I was probably 20. Okay. Yeah. 
So you told her? So, no, we just said, Mom, we want to do this. Um, We're not really doing much. It's summer. And we'd like to see how this would go. So she said, okay. And this is my mom. She gives full creative freedom. Okay. We went ahead. We got, like, fabric. We, As I said, we did this whole thing with our friends. We directed a photo shoot. We printed off the cards. We we created an Instagram page. Sorry, it was a Facebook page. Okay. I had a personal Instagram, so I would always post clap. Okay. And then, yeah, so we started off with very colorful and vibrant um, pieces, which we didn't think. We thought after after that season, the clan would be done. It was just a fun thing. Uh-huh. But then the response to that was, oh, we love this. You know, this is really nice. Are you going to do more? And if my sister, my immediate younger sister at that time, had not had a gap year, and uh, was in Lagos and wasn't in Lagos, sorry, for that gap year. I don't see how Clan would have continued because uh, we were still in school. Okay. Um, I was in um, Exeter doing my law degree. Well, you weren't even done when this. No. Okay. That's what I was saying. Like, there was no plan uh, to okay. sort of carry it on. It was more of just like a, like we're bored, let's do something. And um, yeah, so my sister then had her gap year. So she came back and released a collection that puts clan that defined clan so the first one was very fun sort of pinup girl very like i think i'll say 60s so 50s um inspired like very marilyn monroe and the second one that was done was like really ultra chic um, androgynous silhouettes, suits, very austere like pieces. And everybody's like, is this clan? And the thing is, my sister at the time was into androgynous dressing. Okay. So it was very power, like suit, mm. power dressing. And I guess no one had really done that before. Okay. So that got clan its famous aesthetic. That's where we get our aesthetic mm-hmm. from. However, at the time, there were so many rumors which have only just started to die down. You can imagine how things, like when one person says one thing, you can imagine how you don't, you can't actually imagine the impact that that could have because a lot of people were of the opinion that my mom was the one designing clan um, oh, okay. after that because it was just so like mature and um, pretty unexpected, I guess. Mm. But but our mom is our mentor. So yes, she probably um, did sort of influence a lot or greatly the techniques that were used to achieve those mm-hmm. um, silhouettes. Um, but it was designed by my sister, um, just mentored closely by my mom. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. What year was this, the second... This that 2012, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how did Clan grow after that? So what happened next? How did it evolve to what we have today? <sighs> um, so at that point in time, we are still a very, a very young brand um, trying to find our identity okay. and establish our brand presence, which okay. was being hampered by the fact that people were saying it was done by my mom which is not a bad thing but it was killing Uh. our entrepreneurial spirit um we had to to get through that we had to be very thick-skinned 
and keep going. So when I moved back in 2012, I took over. So my sister goes back to school. Oh, she goes to school after her gap year. So she goes to uni. Um, and I come back and start um, trying to make the clan aesthetic very unique and uh-huh. very... Um, just make it ours, um, all three sisters. So from there, you know, collections, we, I did a few collections. Um, but in terms of the com- commercial side of things, not much was being... I mean, there was no investment. Uh-huh. The per- only person who's invested in our company is my mother. So at that time, we're still putting out collections, which we know we can't sell en masse. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, I'm still sort of not quite acquainted with how the business of fashion works because it seems like no one else really is. Um, as we all know, retail, fashion retail, has only just picked up properly within the last three years. Uh-huh. Um, before that, everyone was just doing, they would, you know, create pieces for a collection, knowing that they could only supply five or six of each, um, as little as that. So at the time, it was, that's why I tell people, um, anyone in fashion is a very passionate person because in terms of what the revenue that's being realized, you're talking about costs so high Uh because there's no subsidy from the government in terms of, when I say subsidy, like there's no uh, support in terms of things as simple as light energy. Um, and even in terms of the skill set. So the people who are, the education system, because of the way that it has been neglected, what is happening is that the people that are being churned out of those um, schools don't have the skill set. So you are basically doing everything uh, apart from actually sewing the clothes. So even in terms of trying to say, okay, because I didn't go to fashion school or to, like, I didn't, I haven't, I don't know how to sew. So in terms of even telling someone, okay, this is how this should be, it was challenging because these are people that should have the skill set, but uh, they didn't. Uh, so that again was another thing that was difficult. Uh, the fact that we couldn't rely on um, people who had gone to fashion school. Uh-huh. So, and we're trying to guarantee quality. That's another thing. This house guarantees quality. If it was that we wanted to do fast fashion, we would just do a couple of designs. Uh-huh. They wouldn't even need to be unique and would send them to China. So, and then they'll just come back and we just sell. But we had a deeper passion. We wanted to see, uh, like, clan, when, when I came back and I refined the vision of clan it was that we wanted to change the way that women you know presented themselves at work or on any kind of occasion whether it was a conference or you know a party or maybe a red carpet thing or even a date. I felt like we should have sensible clothing for uh-huh. the modern day woman that's versatile that's comfortable that is um that transcends any kind of um occasion or any kind of um location she may be in so it became essential that clan should offer um wardrobe essentials that women could rely on for anything 
for any kind of event. So that, that was how we started to build. And it was hard because at first, making clothes here in Lagos where, you know, our manufacturing right here on this premises, um, it's expensive. The biggest costs are diesel and obviously workmanship. How did you get capital? It was all invested by my mom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we were, she was basically letting us use her tailors. Okay. Um, and the skill set and the techniques that she was teaching them mm-hmm. to achieve our designs. Okay. So what was happening was people were complaining, it's expensive, it's expensive, but it was always going to be expensive because it wasn't being mass produced. Uh, uh, uh. Do you understand? And at that time, I have to be honest, knowing what I know now, that business model could not have been sustained. You've seen your mom's... Um... Yes. Okay. Because it's supposed to be off the rack. So we're not, I'm not even talking about the fact that everyone who comes in for a bespoke item is completely... has a different shape to the next uh-huh, uh-huh. or to the person before uh-huh. or any other person. They have different proportions. They have all sorts of different contours of their bodies. That's one thing, and that's very expensive. Anywhere you go, like if you go to London, you go to Savile Row, you're going to spend money on a tailored suit. Uh-huh. But our people here didn't understand that if I am tailoring this to your, your um, unique proportions, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's more expensive. True. So for a long time, we were breaking even only because uh-huh. we couldn't, people could not understand why they were paying 30K. So you're not selling a lot or you're... We're not selling a lot. Okay. What kept us going was our passion. Every day I would come to work and put on something new that I've designed and I would go out on the... I would go outside um, in front of the building and have someone take pictures of me and I'd post that on Instagram. So for a long time I was doing a lot of marketing by myself. On social media. On social media. Okay. So that helped us. That got quite a lot of traction. At some point, the page that was mine, my personal page... Be- was converted to Business fan page, page because mm. I felt it made the most sense. Um, and I just felt that that passion, showing people that, look, we are dedicated to giving you wardrobe essentials. We are changing um, the face of corporate wear in Nigeria. Uh, we are promoting quality. We are promoting authenticity. That was the message we were sending out. And you know, that marketing, yes, it didn't cost much in terms of we weren't paying an external media partner to do that, but that was a lot of um, investment on my part. True, true. Um, even using myself as a model, which was inconvenient because, you know, you for me, firstly, I'm a shy, I was a shy person. I didn't necessarily want to be out there. Like, in terms of security, that's not the best. Um, knowing, people knowing, okay, at this point in time, Tenny Sego is mm, probably out mm, there in front mm, of her building, mm. taking pictures. God let down in her clothing. It wasn't really ideal, but it was done anyway. Mm. So for the longest time, we didn't, we we're just breaking even. All that, and we were having to, my mother's passion um, for her children and her children's, um, I guess, vision or dreams is what kept us going for a really long time. And this was between 2012 and when? This was between 2012 and... Um, this is 2020 now, okay? Uh, 20, about 2017, 
Wow, yeah. you were just breaking even we were for those years. Just breaking even, but what was happening was we're breaking even, but the brand value is increasing uh, greatly. Uh, uh, okay, okay. And Did then, you at any point think it would fail? Fail, of course, of course, because if you are breaking even, you do understand like uh-huh. you're not making money uh-huh. necessarily. So you are not a, you don't have the kind of business that you can scale easily and make back the money. Uh, and even if you scale, you see, it's a catch-22 situation because on one hand, you're not wasting money in the sense that you are not producing a lot of things that people might may or may not buy, right? But you are losing money because your running costs are high. Uh, and what you're getting back into your coffers is not enough. True. So it's a catch-22. It's like, okay, do I want to take the risk and scale up? But if you scale up without brand value and equity you are going to fail because uh-huh. what you have is a showroom full of clothes that are, yes you think are great but no one else wants no and it's a difference, there's a difference also between creating beautiful clothes and creating beautiful clothes that people Don't want to pay for so it's and that's why I say yes we were breaking even for a while but you see at that point we, were only, we only had maybe I don't know how many clients maybe in total maybe about 50 odd clients that we had built up 50 clients that we knew were buying in 2012 but how many clients sorry in 2012 <laughs> how many clients do we have I mean in 2012 we had I think we started off with a, a client database of about 15 or 20 people and these are people that knew my mom okay and it was more like, okay, I'll buy this. I'll support you guys. Uh, but there was no, again, that brand equity was not there to say. True. It was more like, ah, I'm your auntie, I'll buy okay. this. But then there wasn't that, oh, I love clan. We only said to get, oh, I love clan around 2014. Okay. After we had done a show in New York. Okay. How did that come about? Um, I think... My mom was approached by Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week in okay. New York. And my mom, being um, mother hen, decided she wasn't doing it without Clan. Okay. So we went out there and Clan got so... We, I think 2014 is probably a milestone moment for Clan. Because for the first time, we do a showcase in New York. We dress Angela Simmons um, and this... Um, I think her name is Taryn Manning from Orange is the New Black. Okay. And everyone really likes the collection. But back home, we're getting a lot of stick. Like, what is this? How, you know, this was a time when people, the comments on Bella Niger were so poisonous. Wow. That like, they could kill anyone, like any young person's spirit. So mm. we were always, I remember always balancing that passion for what I was doing and that fulfillment of actually actualizing my vision uh, and then also balancing that fear of rejection and you know balancing the negative negativity that Nigerians were pouring out on the moments you cried I thought I probably did I probably did because it was you think that you've done so well like you tell yourself wow amazing this is me I've done New York Fashion Week. So that's me and my sisters. And you come back home and instead of people here to be like, ah, oh, well done. People are actually trying to, you know, change 
the, the scene, trying to put Lagos on the map. We're hearing, what nonsense is this? My tailor can sew this. Uh, Who do they think they are? Is it because they're the other daughters? And it's like, uh, look, no one is talking about, you know, our position as uh, her children. We are trying, to, as in, we are trying to do something. It's a different case if, as, as is the case with a lot of people, parents are rich and someone is giving me money uh, and I'm not even applying myself. Uh, okay, uh, that's a different case. And a lot of people are looking at us as entitled, but think about it. If I was an entitled person, would I not, A, not be trying to even do clan uh, because it's a lot of work and also it's not a developed, like that infrastructure to be able to promote and support fashion in Lagos, Nigeria is does not exist. Like you have to be established. You have to have someone pouring mon- uh, money into your business. People who are in fashion need constant investment because fashion is a capital intensive um, occupation. Um, and our mom has been doing this for 30 years and we know the ins and outs, like how difficult it is. So if that was the case that we were entitled, first of all, we wouldn't uh-huh. even be trying to uh-huh. do any, like we would just be here wearing Jolasego everywhere and trying to get photos of ourselves in that and getting into the most current magazine and being featured in the biggest publications. That would be what I would be doing, doing makeup every day. If that was what we wanted to do, we could have done that. So all that hate and all that negativity it was hurtful, uh, but that's the kind of person I am. It only fuels me to want to succeed, to succeed, and to try to do something else. So we we said, okay, fine. You don't like this collection, that's fine. We'll do what we are known for, which is suits. Okay. That collection was very like sporty and very. It appealed more to the American market but it was ahead of its time it was very it was a japanese and sportswear infusion type collection it was ahead of its time literally a year after that the trends moved to sportswear there are a lot of facets to this and that's why i tell people now obviously having had eight years clan is Uh, nine this year so having had eight years of experience if someone tells me my clothes are expensive i say fair enough because you need to know what goes goes uh, into this. Uh, Only in 2018, for the first time, we had a breakthrough in 2019 where we actually went and mass produced our designs. Wow. In the in the in Europe. So everything here designed and conceptualized in Nigeria for Nigerians, for the Nigerian um, or the African body, but produced in um in europe then shipped back here uh, only because we care these clothes could probably do better abroad but you see we're so devoted and that's what the clan message is uh, community and that concept of a relative group of people caring enough about their community to provide for their community and to uplift and uphold their community. So it is our devotion, our utmost um, promise to always give women here an, another option, the chance to be to express themselves and to put their best foot forward and to exude the kind of confidence that brings the right energy to you. So... Not only did we put out, last year was a huge year for Clan because not only did we mass produce, successfully mass produce 
and be able to stock our shelves. Because also before uh, 2019, after we've gotten the brand, you know, so, so from 2014, we started to record a lot more brand value. People, okay. the brand started to be known by people. People started to want the brand. What do you think helped? Consistency. Okay. Consistency of product. Okay. Consistency of marketing, consistency of brand, of the message. And that passion, knowing that the people behind this are absolutely committed, like they would want nothing but for you to look your best. Because we're doing bespoke, we're still doing bespoke, which is a very difficult model because everybody has to be happy. True. Everybody with True. their unique sense of style, mm-hmm. with their unique proportions, mm-hmm. with their unique, um, <laughs> you know, sort of outlook mm-hmm. on what looks good mm-hmm. and how things should be has to be happy. True. So we are devoted. We've been devoted for now. That's from 2012 to about 2018. We have been devoted to giving people what they want. Uh, we are doing what tailors do. But you see, with a tailor, you tell the tailor what you want and the tailor gives you. And that's, that has been our biggest issue because a lot of these people are like, hey, my tailor can do it. Fine. Your tailor can do it. Your tailor can give you what you want, but can he give you or he, she give you the quality that will last uh, for years? Uh, clan, I can speak, I can testify on this personally, and I have clients who can testify. I have had the same clan trousers for six years. Wow. No need to change them. Wow. There's no need. I mean, if I probably will at this point because I'm not, like, my proportions are not the same as, uh, you know. Uh, uh, when I first got those trousers, but we're not saying buy clan every day. We're saying invest in your wardrobe and just have pieces that you know that you can pick up at any time and the quality is guaranteed. We're saying if you're not happy, we are so committed to providing quality that we will do something about it. We're saying step into any room and don't have to adjust yourself. Don't have to adjust your clothing. Be at be free, be at peace, and be assured that you look great. So that brand value came between 2014 by 2018. We had pretty much been able to increase the brand value uh-huh. to a point where we were comfortable enough to mass produce and sell. And okay. this, we've just completed our first run uh-huh. of um, mass produced of mass sales. Let's see. And it's, it's gone well. Okay. It's gone well. We've sold here in Lagos and also in the UK. Okay. So between 2012 and 2017, 2018, you were just breaking even. Yes. And it was in maybe the latter part of 2018 or 2019 that you started to make profit? Yes. What led to the profit? Was it still the brand value, the consistency? Or was there something you did particularly that increased your sales and helped you make profit? Well, this is just, I mean, it's economics. If you are producing, if you are doing bespoke clothing, the only way you can make profits is if you inflate your margin. Okay. So a lot of these tailors that are selling, that are producing clothes, um, bespoke clothing for clients, they are breaking even too. Uh-huh. Because if they, the only way to make money on bespoke clothing is to charge a premium. That's why bespoke is not cheap. Now, if you're telling me to, to sell 50 of the same pair, pair of trousers and I put that on the rack, the cost of producing on mass per unit is much lower. True. So what's happening is 
I'm able to make money because what it costs to produce one of those um, pair of trousers in a bespoke workshop uh-huh. is probably more than the cost of producing five. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So it's only passion that would allow someone to continue to do that. Uh-huh. A lot of people think you're mad. And that's uh-huh. why I say, like, you can't come and say, my tailor does this. Your tailor does this, but where has your tailor gotten to uh-huh. by doing that? Uh, is it not the same tailor that you go to in Dolphin or, or wherever? Uh, Has she moved? Has she progressed? Does she make profit? Do we care to ask? Uh, uh, and we are not tailors. I'm not a tailor. If I was a tailor, I would know how to sew. So that's why I'm saying that Zara, the Zaras of this world, the Reese, the Cause, all these stores, even Valentino, all those stores that have off the rack or ready mm-hmm. to wear, they are making, the margins are, are justified by the fact that they can bring down cost of production. Uh. And if you're producing in a place where the infrastructure is poor, you're definitely going to absorb. That's why they say a lot of people are governments to themselves. Uh. If you're, you're providing your own lights, your own water, uh-huh. your own transportation, there's no way that you're, because the people that are making the clothes, how do they get to work? Is there a bus system that works? Is there, uh-huh. you know, um, do they have lights or electricity at home to even sustain them? The company is covering those costs. So the company has to get, has to, you know, find a way to retrieve uh-huh. or make back uh-huh. that money. So the simple answer is, I mean, I'm sure that anyone who understands basic economics understands even more than me because uh-huh. that's not my forte. But we have, my sister runs the business side of things. Okay. And so if she was here, she'd be able to explain much better than me. But I think the easiest way to say this is the unit cost is much lower. Uh, okay. So therefore, it, there's a margin that you can, if you sell enough things, you can uh, recoup okay. your money. Okay. But again, if, and this is where I, this is where I feel a lot of my, a lot of people go wrong. I know that most people maybe listening to this podcast will think that, oh, I have a product. The product is good. So therefore, let me go to China and mass produce. Uh-huh. You can't do that. But if the brand value is not there, what happens is you produce, you have a good product, but no one cares. Uh, so what happens is you've tied down your money, but no one cares enough to buy. Even we that have brand value, you can't get it 100% right. That's why when you go to Zara, you see sometimes that the same style that has been there, maybe, because typically in Zara, a good style lasts a month. It's gone. But what Zara does is if something is not working, they pull it off their shelves and they take it somewhere else where it will work. Okay. Now, obviously, this is Nigeria. We also have distribution issues. So... If something is not working in VI, it's not easy for me to just say, okay, let's put it off the, the shelves and take it to Ikoi, sorry, to Ikeja. Where in Ikeja? Do I have another store there? No. Even if something, if something is not working, do I have the option of saying, oh, let's make it an online exclusive? These are the, the um, techniques and the methods that, that the West employs to be able to, you know, uh, safeguard uh, themselves. Uh, so if something is going to be available online, chances are it's going to sell out because online exclusives, people are like, ah, 
this thing is only available for a short period of time mm. and you buy it. But here, people don't even trust e-commerce. True. Do you see? So you have really limited to here, people are still very much wanting to come to a brick and mortar store and get that experience. Uh-huh. And that's why in 2019, as I said big year for clan, we also relaunched our showroom. Uh-huh. We renovated, we closed in 2018. For a whole year, we closed. So we actually did three things. We did a campaign for the clothes we had just produced called okay. a Power Man campaign where we focused on about 14 women okay. in different industries or 12 women, um, sorry. And we focused on their stories. We focused on um, what was unique about them. We went to their places of work and we really got to know these women and they were dressed in clan. So what they did, what we did was that was a huge campaign for women empowerment. So that was launched in March, followed up with the, re- the release of our new collection, okay. the collection that was in the campaign, uh-huh. and then the opening of the store. So those three things together, again, once again, also pushed brand value further and then helped to sell the existing collection. Even at that, we still have the pieces here. Uh, uh, and what? This is a year on. Uh, so we're still learning about retail, how to do it right. Um, and that's why I say, like, it's not... I've, I would encourage anyone listening to this to before you what has made clan a success so far is the fact that we've learned we didn't come on the scene and say we know it all uh, we're going to do it our way uh, we before clan launched we'd been watching our mother for over 10 to 12 years we'd been working with her so I find that a lot of people don't want to do the necessary work. They're like, I want to launch my own. Uh-huh. Yes, you can. But before you create your own vision, help someone else create theirs. Uh-huh. And you will, what you get is something you can't buy in school. Experience. And when you have that experience, and when you've seen somebody else's trajectory, when you've been there and helped someone else fulfill their, their dreams and their visions or whatever, you see the ins and outs. You see the difficulties. You see the challenges. You will learn how you will develop your analytical skills. You will develop your um, problem-solving skills. And you will even acquire knowledge that will empower you and will help you when you want to do yours. Um. So I find that the reason why a lot of people in Nigeria... Cause you can't go anywhere without seeing this venture, this enterprise. I'm just like, if we could actually come together and this person has put capital into that business. And obviously, if that person doesn't understand something like brand value, then they've put money somewhere where they're not even sure they can retrieve, they can recoup Uh, that money. uh. But if you come to someone like me who understands what brand value is, who understands what the risks are, who is also who is running an established brand. And if you join your efforts with mine, honestly, not coming here to ah, quickly just acquire some knowledge and leave, it could take you very far. And the kind of person, I don't believe that anyone is better than the next person. I just think some people are smarter than others. I think some people understand that to get ahead, they need to study. Uh, It's just like school. 
you didn't just wake up and know the answers to the to the test um, questions. You studied, and that's how the workplace is. If I want to run a successful insurance house, I need to work with someone who is good at insurance. I need to give him my best years or her my best years before I can launch mine. And I feel like that's a I know you didn't ask, but I feel like that's something I really want people to know. That if you don't give someone or something else your best years, uh, you can't. Uh, there's no way you can begin to translate uh, or bring to fruition uh, your own dreams. And that's why, I mean, I'm a Christian. So I believe very much in the concept of give and you will receive. Uh, if you give of yourself, there's no way you will not receive. And I gave of myself for years to my mother. And I strongly believe that whatever has come to clan uh, has come because of the years that my sisters and myself gave. So that's... I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> I went way off topic. But no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It was, so we need more people learning before launching. We need and a lot of people of themselves. understanding that you have to learn before you launch, which is what we did. There's no... I'm not preaching something I didn't do. I'm preaching what I practiced. I watched my mother for years. She did, she had bespoke and she had uh, ready to wear. So if you don't apply yourself to learning, if you don't go into an organization asking yourself, what can I bring uh, rather than what can I take? You won't get far. Uh, you won't. Because what, what's your knowledge can only take you so far. Uh, I think that's key. When you, when you started, what were some of your mistakes or your embarrassing first efforts? Oh, I can't remember them in detail now because we're talking like nine years, but... Uh, Even so far, what have been some of your mistakes? mistakes. Um, and because of your journey that you make. Yeah. We've had issues sometimes where because of technical... Um, so I'm not a tailor. Do you um, regret that? No. Okay. But we've had situations where, had I known um, a bit more about technical technicalities, a client might not have been upset with the fit uh-huh. of her um, of her garments. I don't. I can't really recall anything that's been extremely embarrassing because my mom is very protective okay. and always stepping in to uh-huh. avert disasters. Uh-huh. Um, but maybe something like a zip, someone's zip. Oh, okay. Just feels. Um, but in that situation, I'm very, and I have sewed people up. Uh, I have gone to an event with uh, needle and thread, even though I can't really sew. Picking up, you know, memories from Grange when I was doing sewing club. And that, that was what I would use to sew somebody up. But. I don't think we've had a major embarrassing, embarrassing first effort. If it comes to me, I will definitely say, but for now. Okay. I'm not, it's not coming to me. Major embarrassing moment. No. Okay. It's not coming to me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we have. Mm. We're not perfect at all, but it's just not coming to me. Okay. Right now. Okay. Um, what fears or insecurities would you say you have? Uh, 
My biggest insecurity as a designer is the fact that I'm I haven't trained to be uh-huh. a designer. Um, I feel sometimes I do have to fight that voice in my head that's saying, "Why do you think you know you can do this?" And the answer is, I don't think I can. Uh-huh. It's only by God's grace and by His mercy that I'm able to consistently do this um, and actually have his favor on our business to continue to sell and to continue to do what people actually want to see. So I won't take any credit at all. I feel like some people, when you have a talent or a gift, sometimes you can't explain it. You can't Uh explain how it came about. You can't explain the ins and outs of it. But in a room, possibly if someone put me in a room, with designers who have been to school and CSM and, you know, University of the Arts, London, Chelsea, I probably feel a bit intimidated. Yeah. Uh, but you see, for me, the way I see insecurities and intimidation, I, f- I see it as a choice. Uh, no two people's stories are the same and they're not meant to be. So if everyone was a trained designer, we wouldn't have variety. So I see, I, I think there's a place for me uh, and as long as I can understand that and accept that, which I have, insecurities for me are things that we think that we need to hide. I'm going to say it here. I have not had any formal training, I've not gone to any kind of school. My mother is my mentor and everything I know, a lot of it is from her and the rest of it is divine, I guess, intervention from God. And I feel like when you share your insecurities, you become that much stronger because there's nothing to hide. So what has been the most memorable moment for you on this journey? A moment where you felt like I'm in the right place, I'm in the right journey, where you felt most fulfilled? Every time I get asked this question, I think for me, it's the obvious thing that comes to my mind is the Power Man campaign because it had never been done the way that we did it before. Like Uh it had not been done that way. Like women have had platforms on which to speak. We um, created a platform and also created unique looks um, for each woman and allowed her in that moment to own that uh, piece of clothing that she was wearing and to express herself. So we did uh, studio images, we did editorial images, we did videos, um, and we also got to, to understand the essence and to portray uh-huh. the essence of being a woman. Uh-huh. And to me, like I guess I sound like a feminist, but I'm not a feminist in word. I'd say I'm a feminist in truth. Uh-huh. I mean, anyone who's driving at 13, I, there's no, I don't think that you can escape being a feminist to some degree because, <laughs> I mean, you're quite independent already. You're, you're moving things already at the age of 13. Um... But without trying to sound too feminist, there's power in, um, in being a woman. There's so much power. There's so much that can be done. And I feel like that moment where by empowering other women, uh, I empowered myself. And uh, it was the most, for myself and my sisters, it's been the most fulfilling thing till date. Uh, Just knowing that, you know, empowering women and seeing how happy they were and seeing how great they looked and seeing how fearless they looked um, 
and seeing also telling their stories and learning from them like it was just so empowering uh, to 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 them and to us and i think that's for me that has been i can't think of a better moment um and also we lost content we worked with photographers and videographers some of who whom lost that content wow. and that was so painful but the fact that we could still bounce back from that and still wow. release that campaign and no one noticed like that's why i say that there's some things that is not you can't explain them by mm. like anything or using anything in this world. You can only explain them as God's divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally another fulfilling thing for us has been launching another expression of clan, which is called the marshmallow. The marshmallow. Which, yeah. Okay. Which we're sitting in right now. Oh, so okay. it's a store. It's our store. And we had the option when we launched to call it clan, but I felt we could push further mm. and call it something else because I felt like we were about to create yet another identity. Mm. Um, and this identity that we've created is a store that is pink and smells <laughs> pretty pink too. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a lot of female energy, but we yeah. love men, obviously. <laughs> and every, I'd say literally every vendor in the marshmallow, because obviously there's clan. Every vendor here is, we found out yet another way to empower women. Uh, Every vendor here is a woman. uh, Every vendor on the shelves. And we're not feminists, no. We're just encouraging women. uh, And it wasn't intentional. uh, I guess when you exude, you know, female or feminine energy, you attract that too. But uh, we don't have anything against men. <laughs> and we're not saying the story is only going to be for women. So please watch this space. But we're saying that we do we do love celebrating women. I think any time we celebrate women and their achievements and what they've done um so far. And obviously it's close to our hearts because we we make clothes for women. So this is not some agenda that we woke up with and said, yes, we must only make clothes for women and empower uh, women. No. Uh, it's just that in that product that we created when we launched the suits um, in, at our rise in 2012, we found a purpose, which mm. was to encourage and empower women. And we take that very seriously. So, no, we're not necessarily feminists, but we believe very much in our products, which definitely help um, and advance the interests of women. And, yeah, we've carried that through into the marshmallows so yeah Tenny will be sharing her life lessons with us shortly stay with us I'm Ushaya I am listening to Origins Africa podcast hi there are you an entrepreneur celebrity innovator executive creator religious leader sportsman or someone who's made and is making their dreams come true I would like to share it on Origins Africa podcast Kindly send an email to originsafricapodcast at gmail.com or reach us via any of our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Origins AF. Your origin story matters. Let's inspire hope one story at a time. If you like what you've listened to hitherto, click the subscribe button. 
for sponsorships, donations, and adverts, please send an email to originsafricapodcast at gmail.com. Also share your thoughts and feedback with us on social media pages, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at OriginsAF. Don't forget to follow us. Hiya. Welcome back to Origins Africa Podcast. I'm Oshaya. Now it's 2020 and clan is successful and profitable. But in retrospect, what did Tenny wish he had known when clan was starting out? In retrospect, I wish I had known more about the business of fashion. Because fashion is about numbers and about brand value, brand appreciation, brand presence and awareness. And uh. I have to say, I, we started all this very blindly. We didn't know about this. So in retrospect, I wish I had had that um, knowledge in terms of creating a brand that wasn't so focused on the end user because the what we were thinking was let's create a brand for nigerians Uh but you see this our expression is not just for nigerians for every woman um so i wish and even at the time if if we could if i had known i wish i could have adopted a broader strategy Uh um also with product development to include men Uh, yeah okay so these are things that um, we'll see later this year or next year. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Like I said, I have a passion. Under this house, we have entrepreneurial um, passion. Mm. We have a passion for product development uh-huh. and for retail excellence uh-huh. and also for business management. So don't put anything past us. Um, like anything that has to do with those four areas I just mentioned. Interesting. And also textiles, sorry. Mm. So Anything that has to do with those five areas, like don't let, like don't put a ceiling on what you what you can expect because uh-huh. you just never know. With clan, you literally <laughs> just never know. Okay. It shocks me too. So, yeah, you literally just never know. But one thing we're absolutely devoted. Our biggest vision and mission is to show the potentials of. Nigeria, actually, mm. because the way we, a lot of people say, what's Nigerian about clan? And it's like, yeah, I guess it's not Ankara, uh, but the people behind it are Nigerian. Uh, the initiatives behind it are all formulated here uh, and are mo- very much formulated on a lot of ni- things that are unique to Nigeria. Uh, um, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of the environment, the working environment, in terms of people's commercial needs, in terms of people's, even the temperature, like everything, our home base is here. Uh-huh. So it affects the kind of fabrics we use, the kinds of um, our marketing strategies. It affects everything it affects everything so when people say what's nigerian about clan a lot is it's just that the fabric we're using is not what you might expect in terms of the fabric um composition we do take into consideration that we are in a very warm climate 
And there's this myth that, oh, if you're in a warm climate, you have to wear a certain fabric. We don't subscribe to that. We're trying to change that. A lot of us do not really... Uh, we walk the streets, but a lot of us, for the most part, are in a car, in AC, or go to your house where there's AC. In fact, these days, I'm the one who's always cold. And then my driver is telling me, ah, it's, madam, it's hot. I'm like, ah, it's hot. Okay. So do, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the time, we're finding that, okay, let's think out of the box. And mm-hmm. that's what Clan does very well. We think out of the box. And we are presenting a different side to Nigeria, Mm. which we're hoping will make everyone here very proud because we're absolutely, we're very, very proud of of Nigeria. Yes, we have uh, moments, you know, but for the most part, we are very, very happy that this is our home base and we would not change anything about that. That's nice. What key skills have you had to learn? Uh, dispute resolution in terms of um, clients, uh, proper client management skills, uh, retail management. Um, in terms, that has to do mostly with just keeping retail um, sp- space stocked mm. and also very just optimal, optimal for shopping, optimal for ambiance optimal for transaction ease of transactions and things like that um also also social skills uh, i network a lot i attend okay. events a lot so okay social skills uh, uh, before clan you wouldn't necessarily oh, I'm, have... a so- I'm a very sociable person okay like i can i even though i'm reserved which is a bit ironic i'm a people person i enjoy people's company i enjoy relating with people i'm a kind of person i mean like a sponge i soak up uh, what people are saying and even though i don't talk much what i do say i think is enough for people uh, to feel like they can connect so uh, um I'm, I'm more of a an observer and a listener uh, um than i am a talker but if you're like my really close friend or someone i know very oh, i'll talk your ear off uh, but i always save people the stress of me talking their ear off so i typically when I go to events, I, I network, I listen. Um, also quite good at, and that's another thing about me. I'm probably one of the key sales persons or people in my office because for me, everyone I meet is a possible client. Uh, okay. So I actually, I actually got a new client today while I was doing my nails just before this, um, oh, really? this interview. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's a networking tip that you give people? Be open-minded and don't impose your opinions Uh. or views on anyone, on the next person that you're talking to. And listen. Uh. Listen and look for things that you have in common. So Uh. this lady and I, what we had in common today was we were both locked out of the salon, the nail salon. And we were uh, both determined to get in. <laughs> so we bonded over that. They opened leads or? So on the website I checked, on the Google, not websites, on Google, I had checked last night um, and it said 9 Saturday hours, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So what oh. I did is I wake up at like 7.30, okay. get myself ready, get there. Because I, I was, 
anticipating this interview mm-hmm. and starting on time. Mm-hmm. So I got there at 9.25 and they're like, oh, madam, sorry, you can't open the door right now. You have to wait. Oh. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, okay, I'll wait a few minutes. And then the lady comes as well. She's obviously more mature than me. And when they see her, they rush to open the door. And me being a firecracker, <laughs> I run after her and say, ah, if you open the door for her, you open the door for me too. <laughs> and she says, ah, let her in. And then obviously we bond. She tells me about how she, you know, she talks to me about a lot of things. And we mm. end up, she ends up asking me what I do. And I tell her, okay, clan. And then I show her the Instagram page. And then she asks how long I've been doing this for. And she's shocked. Uh. And then I tell her, just for context, who my mother is. And she says, oh, wow. Okay. Uh. And then, yeah, by the time I'm leaving, we're already WhatsApping. And she's telling oh, me about how she's interested in coming in. And how I shouldn't call her madam. Because I'm already saying, okay, thank you, madam. And she's saying, don't call me madam before you give me madam prices. <laughs> auntie is okay. I said, okay, auntie. So I, I made a new friend and auntie. What did you learn the hard way? I learned the hard way that what you think is good or best is not what other people think is good or best. Could you shed my light? So if I think a jacket that exposes someone's belly, I'm not saying that I ever thought that. But if I think that, that that's the way jacket should be, I shouldn't feel like that's something everyone else would like. I should conduct research and I shouldn't be so emotional and emotionally attached to any one thing that it becomes difficult for us to throw it out. Uh-huh. So, for example, as a designer, when you're designing, you should understand that everything you're designing, yes, that's your expression at the time. But tomorrow or in two years' time, somebody can come and tell you this is not going to sell. And you have to be able to say, okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, if you don't think so, if no one else thinks so, fine. And so everything in this room that, and it's upstairs here, these are all my designs. But at uh, some point in time, we sat down around the table and I had my own sister there telling me, no, and I'm taking this out. This is not going to sell before we ended up with this edit. Uh, so f- at that point in time, at some point I was arguing and saying, no, defending my designs. Can't you see the detail on the lapel? What do you mean? And she's like, Tenny, no, it's not going to sell. And I get really upset. At first I was getting upset, but then I've reached the point where I put out a design or a collection. And once I put out the collection, I, the emotional ties, yeah. I cut them off because it's not about me. And that's about, the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about me. It's about the end user. It's about the company. So what's best for me might not be best for the company. And I'm happy. I'm happy to accept. I've been happy to accept that. But I learned it the hard way. Mm-hmm. I did push for a few things. I was like, yeah, this is definitely, this is it. And then you, you find out that those are the ones left on the rack. And then you are now finding that you're having to be calling people quietly to be like, oh, do you want this? <laughs> are you sure you don't? Because it's really nice. And person's like, no, I'm good. And then you get that. I told you so, look. So, I mean, from other people that were in the committee. Who makes the final decision on which piece goes out or which design makes it out to collection? Uh, so, that's actually both my sisters. Okay. So, I do the design. The, person, the rule is the person who's doing the design does not get involved in the final edit. Because uh, of bias? Yeah. Okay. The only thing I can do is say, 
are you sure you don't want this because these are the added benefits? But if they say, Tenny, no, we don't want it. I'm, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Throw it out. I guess I'll make one for myself. And that's usually enough for me. Knowing that is them throwing it out does not mean the design will never exist again or it's going to perish. But for this particular time. Yeah, for this particular time. Mm. No, we're not we're not doing it. And that's fine. I know all three of you have different styles. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so how were you able to marry all that? Did it cause any issue at the beginning? Mm, in the beginning, no. Because we all contributed. Oh, somebody said we should make bomb shorts at the time okay. we did someone said we should make bralettes we did but then obviously like when we do when we go into like the first phase of design which is ah, what are we producing i'm the creative director so i decide what the theme is so the last collection we released was wildfire and my sisters were like that's so like why would anyone name anything wildfire huh. it's so like it's scary. It's it's a catastrophe. Mm-mm. I'm like, yeah. And that's what we're going to call it. So I have, that's my own space. I can. And they leave that to you to whatever that you to decide. Yeah. That's because what's I was done. like, my collection is going to be called Wildfire. The collection I'm designing. When I say my collection, I mean the collection mm-hmm. I'm designing. Mm-hmm. But then at the point where it gets to the table, where I've done all the designs mm-hmm. and we are all talking about it and it's a committee and my mom is involved. If, if it's a vote, mm. if, the vote is not in the favor of the outfit. It gets thrown out. Okay. Of the collection that is being mass produced, not okay. out of the collection. Gotcha. It's just that we gotcha. just want mass produce. Clown is nine years this year. Yeah, nine years old. In one. In August. Ah, uh, so in one word, how would you describe the journey? In one word. Hmm. And and why that word? Fascinating. Why? Because every day is different. No two days have been the same. Mm. Okay. Today I'm on top of the world because everyone is so taken by what you're doing. And tomorrow, yeah, just like any other brand, trying to prove, you know, not your worth, but just trying to fight, not fight, win back mm. people, people's attention, people's, yeah, people's attention because it's all, fashion is all about captivating an audience and keeping them enthralled. And that's it's not an easy task. What lessons have you learned? To be grateful for everything and thankful to. And to be patient. I wasn't the most patient person at the beginning of this journey. I was like, everything should happen now, now, now. I heard that at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's just roll. Okay. Roll, let's start. Like, I don't, I don't like delays. And I've learned that some delays are necessary for growth and for character development. So, What's the best advice you received? The best advice I have received is don't expect anything from anybody. Okay. Want to shed more light? Okay, so what that, a lot of people take that to mean, ah, that means, you know, nobody should ever give anybody anything. But, you know, that's the wrong way to look at that. Um, and that statement, that statement implies that if you, if you get something, that's grace. That's somebody extending grace to you. But it's, what it's saying truly is, don't be entitled. Uh-huh. There's nothing that you are entitled to in this life. Every time you get something, it's somebody, it's someone 
extending grace to you or God extending grace to you. So it's not that we're saying everybody should should close their pockets and not give people things. No, that's not what that that's not the true essence of that statement. The true essence of the statement is that whatever comes to you is grace extended. Uh-huh. So appreciate it. So treat it like that. Don't treat it like you're entitled because you're not. So even if some days when I wake up and my mom has made, because she still cooks sometimes, she's made stew. I go and thank her for it because uh-huh. I'm old enough to make my own stew. So having that grace extended, that's something I truly appreciate and I thank her for. Uh-huh. And also if... I extend grace to someone. I too shouldn't be looking to receive anything uh, in return. Uh, I should be extending that grace because grace is grace. It's not deserved. It's uh, just extended. Uh, so that's the best advice I've gotten because in some situations where I'm feeling, ah, then, well, I should have been giving this. I should have been chosen for this. It's like, no, no one owes you anything. Uh, if there's grace extended to you, appreciate it. And if, if there's not, that's fine too. And if you can be in a position to extend grace, extend it. Because if you do that, you help somebody else and you empower yourself without like, without knowing it. So that's been the... Did you make any sacrifices on this journey? Absolutely. What sacrifices did you make? I wanted to go back to school. Okay. I wanted to... My true passion is branding. Okay branding and sustainability of brands did you That's, know this before clan or you f- no found? i found out okay during so during that eight year tenure mm. clan i started to realize that oh, what i really want to do is um something around branding now mm. luckily for me there are brands here mm. so i am still learning on the job but i made a sacrifice of going back to school any other sacrifice that you want to talk about Everything else, I don't think is so material. Like things like, obviously working somewhere else, I could have amassed a lot more mm. wealth, mm. physical wealth. Because here we are, we spend, we personally spend money. I spend money on clan. Like the times when I do myself and my sisters, we spend money on clan. And because we've been growing for so long in terms of remuneration and things like mm. that, those are things that we've um now people say your clothes are so expensive so you're being paid so much mm-hmm. not really because there's still costs that need to be covered and taken care of so that's another sacrifice putting passion before mm-hmm. uh, immediate fulfillment in terms mm-hmm. of wealth mm-hmm. that's not to say that no we are doing more than okay but some other people would have gone and done something else, like maybe started another venture on the side or been doing half and half. So what we could have done was was cut our time uh-huh. between clan and maybe another venture. Uh-huh. But no, we, we stayed here. And even though it's a sacrifice, it's the best one that we've made because then we couldn't, if we had, if I had cut my time between two, we could it would have taken twice as long uh, do so. you see yourself going to school for your branding degree anytime soon i don't know i can't say 
but I do have a new brand which I run with a friend okay and a business partner and um, it's called Embassan we sell Embassan yeah okay we sell bed and bath linens and our uh, stocks obviously in the marshmallow <laughs> interesting why Embassan or what's Embassan Embassan is a Spanish word and it means to be with your clothes on so uh, our whole philosophy is that if you're in embassan sheets, you t- you could feel like you're bathing with your clothes on because they're so soft and luxurious. Uh, and, yeah. How does Tenny unwind or relax? Um, that's a f- very good question. I don't know. So the thing about me is I don't realize when I'm unwinding because I'm very active. So I'm always doing something. Um, so for me, something like a facial, doing my own facial, giving myself a facial, could be relaxing. The most relaxing activity I get up to is definitely going to the beach. Okay. What I love, what I love is hearing water or being around. That's the most relaxing thing mm. for me. I know it's not shower or bath, more like being on a boat or being on a beach. Um, and also, obviously, like everyone else, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you miss most about your life before clan? Mm, I miss not fe- feeling guilty on Saturdays when I'm not at work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so if, if you could send a message to yourself five, five years ago, what, what would you tell the younger Tenny? Quality over quantity and be patient. Okay. Are there any best books? Do you read nonfiction? I do, but recently I haven't really read. I feel like after law school, I was like, no, after my law degree, I haven't done law school. I was like, oh, I'm maxed out on reading. I'm done. <laughs> what I'm reading at the moment is in the Bible. Okay. That's the only thing I'm reading. Like, from I'm trying to read from cover to cover. Okay. So why? Why? Oh, I'm just intrigued. I feel mm-hmm. like I may have missed something the last time I read it. I think I was like 13 or 14 when I last read it. So I'm just trying to refresh my memory. And also, it's just one of the greatest books in the world. If you were in my shoes, yes, asking questions, yeah. what would you ask yourself that I haven't asked you? A tough question. Um. I think I would ask what my hmm it's a tough question (laughs) I think I would ask what my life philosophy was okay and what's that Right now, I'm all about presence of self, Mm. knowing who I am and being true to that person. And before, like when I was younger, they say like 18, 19, 20, I felt like my face couldn't exist without makeup. Oh, okay. And now I've been completely liberated. Like I'm not wearing makeup now apart from 
lip gloss, lip liner, um, and just embracing that person and becoming myself again has been the most liberating thing. And I feel like my life philosophy is be true to yourself in the most authentic way possible. Don't try and prove anything to anybody. Um, what works for you works for you and doesn't have to work for anyone else. And don't need, don't feel the need to explain yourself to anyone in terms of why you're doing something or for what or how you're doing something. The only person you need to explain yourself to is God. And really, I'll tell people also the way I live my life, my Christian life, I don't feel, I feel like a personal encounter with God is very, very important. And that even though you have a pastor or a mentor, those people, their roles in your life are very necessary. But the biggest role um, in terms of, of your spiritual life is to have a personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I live my life very... I live my life in a liberating way. I feel like a spiritual, um, a good spiritual relationship with God allows you to live in a happy, fulfilled manner where you're not suddenly nesting things like jealousy and um, regret and just things that are not of God. So recently I've been focused on the fruits of the spirit. Uh-huh. And that has, for me, really changed a lot of things about the way I think and how I do things. Could you walk us through your typical day? So you wake up in the morning, what okay. do you do until you go to bed at night? Okay, in the morning when I wake up, I probably roll out of bed around 8. Okay. Sometimes I don't. Probably I roll out at 8.30. Typically I get to the office at 10. Um, before I um, shower, I do my quiet time, read a devotional, and pray. Um, I tend to do some praise and worship on my Spotify, like a Spotify playlist. Okay. And then just while I'm getting ready, and then by 10, I'm at work. I drive, I could drive or I could get driven, depends. Um, and then... When I'm at work, I'm at work till typically 6.37. Um, I see clients for consultations for Diola, fittings for Diola. I typically don't see my client clients, but I do a lot of visual merchandising, pictures, um, review like my staff's work, train them. Uh, lunchtime is one o'clock. There's food from home. I eat that. Um, and then go home at 6, 6.30 could stop by for a treat possibly ice cream or not um if i'm feeling fat i won't do that and then yeah go home could stop at the pharmacy just to pick up essentials soap toothpaste um if i'm out or just to visit there's a pharmacy i like in particular so i go there to visit them and then um yeah go home and when i get home watch possibly watch if my brain is not still so active from the day um i could um just go to sleep but if my brain is still quite active and need to kind of make it tired or wear it down so i, I would watch a netflix show mm. um, have dinner 
good sleep. It's a very simple day. <laughs> okay. I know you had mentioned it in person in the course of this conversation. Um, so your success, would you ascribe it to hard work, skills, or would you ascribe it to luck? I don't believe in luck. Um, I would ascribe it to God's favor and grace. But I also ascribe it to hard work and dedication and feeling like I've been knocked over but getting up every time. That's one thing. I'm, I'm very resilient. I'm very much about getting up after I've fallen down. Why don't you believe in luck? I don't think it's a biblical principle. Ah, uh, okay. I feel like if there was such a thing as luck, it probably would be grace. I feel like uh, luck and grace. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. they're interchangeable. So I'd say God's grace. Not luck. No. Okay. Okay. Who would you like us to interview next? I would like to hear um, I Am Dodos, her story. Okay, who's that? She's a makeup artist. Okay. That was Teniola Sego, co-founder and creative director of Clan, as well as creative director of House of Diola. Thanks so much for listening to our show this week. You can subscribe at wherever you get your podcast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, amongst others. And whilst you're there, please do give us a review. You can also write to us at originsafricapodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to send a tweet, it's at originsaf. We would love to hear from you about how we're doing and where you'd like us to improve. Join us next time as we have a chat with Abiodun Shikoya, popularly known as Beezer, the co-founder of The Plug NG. Our show was produced this week by Tumishi Ajani, whilst the theme song was composed by Just Ritimi. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. Whatever you do, don't back down. When things get tight, get the drive.